the story of the nation's first black priest who's on his way to sainthood and once called Quincy home. This is Dive Deep. From the Diocese of Springfield in Illinois, this is Dive Deep, where we dive deep into our Catholic faith. I am Andrew Hansen, and if you haven't heard the story of Father Augustine Tolton, it will inspire you. And you're going to learn something new today if you have heard something about him before, because we're going to go over his whole life, what's the latest on his path to sainthood, a whole bunch of other things, including one of my favorite quotes I've ever heard. It'll give you chills. It gave me chills when I first heard it. But before we get into that, if you'd like to support Dive Deep, head on over to dio.org slash give. That's dio.org slash give to support Dive Deep so we can continue this awesome ministry of this podcast. And we have Father Darren Zanely here with us today. He's a Quincy native, pastor of St. Augustine in Ashland, director for the Office of Divine Worship and the Catechumenate for the Diocese of Springfield. And new this year, Father Darren, an instructor at your alma mater, Quincy University. Indeed. It's quite a buildup, Andrew. I hope I live up to it. Holy cow. How is that going so far? I think it's going fine. I'm enjoying it. I don't know if my students what, are or not. What are you teaching over there? Uh, this semester is a class on Franciscan theology. Okay. And is, this is that's the fall semester. Are you doing yes. the spring semester? What do you do the spring the semester? The spring semester, they want me to teach a class called Catholic Life and Thought. Well, that's right up your alley. I hope so. I asked what that means, and uh, the professor that wants me to do it said he's taught it 10 different ways, and each time he's taught it 10 different ways, or 10 different times he's taught it 10 different ways, so I can do with it whatever I want. Uh, Now, you have been devoted to Father Tolton for a long time. You even wrote a paper on Father Tolton when you were a student at Quincy University. I know you don't like it when I use this title, but you are our expert. Yeah, I don't on, like being on called an expert Tolton. on anything. <laughs> you are our expert, though. Um, okay, so let's get into Father Tolton's story. We're going to get into his cause to sainthood. Of course, we're going to get into some things that the diocese is looking at and what will happen when he becomes a blessed and a saint, both liturgically and also with shrines or things you know around our diocese. We'll talk about all that. But first, right now, he is Venerable Father Augustine Tolton, step two out of four. So again, he is on his path. But first things first, Father Darren, let's get into his story. This all started back in 1854, Father Tolton being born a slave in Missouri. Pick up the scene for us there because, you know, obviously him becoming the first black priest, that's a major deal. But him even getting to that point was probably even a bigger deal. No, sure. Yeah. So he was born on April 1st, 1854 um, on a slave plantation in Missouri in Brush Creek. It's about, uh, what's 40 miles away from Quincy. So about 20 miles away from Hannibal, Missouri. Um, we still know where the farm is. Uh, we, the owners are well aware of the history of it all. And so when, his, when he was about seven, his mother, Martha Jane, uh, learned of slave traders in the area um, looking to do more trading with slaves. And she herself had been separated from her parents when she was young uh, because of the slave traders. And she didn't want to be separated from her own children because of them. So she made plans to escape in the darkness of night, uh, one evening and made her way um, through the darkness, through the fields, through streams, all of this, um, with three children, um, made it to Hannibal, Missouri, uh, encountered Confederate soldiers there. Uh, at the time, it was an odd situation, but most of Missouri was under Union control, but apparently Hannibal was not, or the other way around, I forget. Um, but the Confederates were going to send her back uh, to the plantation, but Union soldiers, this is what it was, Hannibal was under union, union control, and they said, nope, they're under our jurisdiction now. They put her in a rowboat with the kids and sent her across the river. Um, some of the stories indicate that the Confederate soldiers fired after them. Uh, she makes it to shore uh, in Illinois and 
encounters people who were working with the Underground Railroad. Uh, they got her to Quincy, and that's where she decided to settle. So, I mean, th- that in and of itself, because I, I, I heard the story of that they were firing at her. Um, and, I mean, the, cur- the courage she had to have oh, sure. to, to cross the Mississippi River, and then the faith she had to have to say, okay, okay, even if we do end up here, praise be to God, we'll, we'll be in a free state. However... Uh, we have to figure this out. Right. So they go to Quincy. Now tell us about, pick us up where now, now they arrive in Quincy and how the people received uh, uh, the family there. So it was hard to tell initially what it was like, but Quincy was one of the main stops on the, under, on the Underground Railroad uh, getting uh, runaway slaves up to Chicago. Um, Martha enrolled Augustine uh, in St. Boniface School um, and he was there for about a month. He was the first black student to be enrolled in that school. And a number of the parents were very displeased with this. And so they threatened the pastor uh, that if he allowed Augustine to stay in the school, uh, that they would not only withdraw their own children from the school, but they would also withdraw their financial support of the parish. So Martha didn't want to cause any trouble. I think that shows her character there. So she withdrew uh, young Gus, as everybody called him then, from the school. Um, So there was some, at least within that particular part, there was some uh, unwelcome if you will, to put it mildly. Um, but Father Peter McGurr, the pastor of the neighboring St. Peter's Parish, which was just literally a block away, uh, learned about this and learned that Gus was going to a public school even though he was a Catholic boy. And so he approached Martha and said... Wait, so he was already Catholic at that point? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so they, he was baptized Catholic. He was baptized Martha Catholic. was Catholic. Okay. Uh, the owners of the plantation in Brush Creek were Catholic. Uh, and it's one of the odd things about slavery yeah, I remember uh, you saying in this. the U.S. <laughs> that... You had Catholic people who were owning slaves who would baptize their slaves as Catholic. They would give them at least a rudimentary education in the Catholic faith. And somehow they didn't see any discrepancy with this uh, between owning people as property and also being Christian. I can't explain that. There seems to be a, um, oh, what's the phrase? Uh, a mental block, if you will. Uh, something's not connecting together. Um, I can't explain how that happens to okay. people. But. Yeah, I remember you saying that. That is very fascinating. Okay, so he ends up at the, uh, St. Peter and Father McGurr. I remember, you know, mm-hmm. Father McGurr played a, a very a integral role, role in his life. Yeah, so he says to Martha, bring him to my school. You won't have any trouble there. Uh, and she was a little hesitant, but he promised her. He assured her, no trouble. So for three Sundays in a row, he preached on uh, what you have done to the least of my brothers and sisters that you have done to me. And uh, so Gus went to St. Peter's school, and he was received very kindly there. Uh, he said that as long as he was in that school, he was safe, and everybody liked him. Okay. So now as, as he's going along, obviously he's he's starting to, these thoughts of the priesthood are, are entering his mind. Father McGurr played, sure. played an integral yeah. role. He, he starts serving Mass. He's helping in the sacristy. Uh, Father McGurr gives him a job. Uh, when he's not working for uh, St. Peter's or going to school, uh, he would usually only go to school in the wintertime. Uh, Martha had taken a job at the Harris Tobacco Factory, uh, and Gus took a job there as well. Um, times were tough. The kids had to work to support the family. Um, Do we know anything about uh, his teenage years when he's really gearing up to like think about the priesthood? We know a little and, bit. Okay. Uh, so it started. So it really all sort of flourished at St. Peter's. Um, so he's, he's sort of doing custodial work, cleaning up the church, cleaning the sacristy, all of that, serving mass, doing what he can there. And uh, Father McGurr is the one uh, who suggested to him that maybe he has a priestly vocation. Uh, And Gus said, well, Father, there are no black priests. And Father McGurr said, well, maybe not in the United States, but there are black priests throughout the world. Uh, So this is in his later teen years. 
so Augustine begins uh, writing to different seminaries in the U.S., different religious orders, uh, seeking uh, acceptance uh, to start studying for the priesthood. And they keep receiving letter after letter back that simply said, we're not ready for a Negro student. Uh, and Father McGurr, to his credit, did not give up. Uh, he worked with the Franciscans uh, to talk with the superior of the Franciscans, the minister general in Rome, who was friends with the prefect of the congregation uh, for the Propaganda Fidei. Um, and that Franciscan worked with this prefect uh, to get Augustine accepted into the seminary of Propaganda Fidei in Rome. So we pick it up there. So now he's in Rome. Uh, he studies over there for, for, of course, several years. Mm -hmm. And I, I teed it up where I said, there, there's one of my favorite quotes. And I remember when I first heard it from you, it did give me chills because on the night of his ordination, he's thinking he's going to Africa. Oh, yeah. He spent all of his spare time that he had while studying from the seminary. He was studying African history and culture and geography uh, because all along he expected to be sent as a missionary to Africa. And the night before he was ordained a priest, um, he was ordained on Holy Saturday, so it would have been Good Friday, oddly enough. Um, Cardinal Simeone, who had sort of taken charge of him, uh, calls him aside and says the committee met last night. Uh, it was decided that they would be sent to Africa. Uh, but he said, I've overruled the committee. He said, uh, as the quote comes down to us, he said, if America, I said, uh, America has been called the most enlightened nation on earth. If the United States has not yet seen a black priest until now, it must see one now. And he sent him back to Quincy. And here he goes. So I, mean, I can't imagine Father Tolton and then that moment thinking this whole life, as you said, he's, he's preparing to go to Africa and now he's being mm -hmm. sent back. Uh, do we know much about his, uh, his anything that he, did he write about his thoughts of being sent back to America? Was he, was Not he? Not that we have. Okay. Uh, we have very few of his writings still existent. Um, most of them come from his time as a priest, uh, often looking for help um, financially or otherwise to support his parishes. Um, his ordination was right around the time of the martyrdom of Charles Loanga and his companions in Uganda. Um, and so he, he must have been aware that if he was going to be sent to Africa that there was a high probability that he might become a martyr. Um, so who knows what all of those emotions or thoughts were like. I mean, think about As that. He's so no longer being sent to Africa, but now going back to the United States. Um, he must have thought about that there were lots of people who were very kind to him. Uh, but then he must have thought back to that, the prejudice and the racism that he experienced as a boy. Right. And that's, that's what I was getting at. It's like on one hand, I go to Africa and probably die or I can go to America and face racism. And so you're in a no win situation, so to speak. Right. But he but he he, he you know, forges on. But now let's get to his arrival in Quincy, because there has been people who say, OK, he had he had the you know, St. Boniface wasn't maybe the best to him. St. Peter Parish was good when he came to when he came to Quincy and arrived. So people he loved his, that he did. was there. So I mean, he, he made was, his way back to the United States. He ends up in Hoboken, New Jersey, has mass with some sisters there, makes his way on train back to Chicago. Uh, Father McGurr had chartered a train from Chicago for him. They called it the Q. Um, he arrives in Quincy. The population of the city is about 3,000 people at that time. Uh, 1,500 people welcomed him at the train station. There's a brass band. He was given a carriage ride. Uh, they took him up to St. I forget if his first mass was St. Boniface or St. Peter's, but they took him up to this church there um, and had an incredibly festive mass. Uh, <laughs> church is beautifully decorated. The church is packed with Catholic, with excuse me, with Catholics and non-Catholics alike, because the U.S. had never seen a black priest before. Yeah, do you, do you think in that time was it, it was a little bit of uh, you know people want to see like what this is about versus yeah, supporting? I, but the, but the point is they're still there they're still cheering there. for him. They're still there. I think it was partly a novelty. Uh, partly it was a hometown boy coming back from Rome. I think that was part of it. Um, it was a priest coming back. Uh, that was always an, a festive occasion for Catholics back in those days. Um, did half I think of, all did, of that is tied into it. Did half of Quincy show up for your ordination? No. 
<laughs> but we couldn't have fit them anyway. <laughs> I was ordained with seven, with six others or seven others at the yeah. time. Um, um, but so when he gets back to Quincy, uh, Father Holton is given the care of St. Joseph's uh, Parish, which was established for black Catholics. Um, again, just a block away from St. Boniface, which is a block away from St. Peter's. It's all in this area. Uh, Quincy itself was about a square mile, apparently, at that time, geography-wise. Um, and he tells us that on a typical Sunday, he had 250 people at his mass. Wow. Uh, 50 of them were blacks and the other 200 were whites. So that tells you right there. I mean, obviously there is some racism and at that time still in Quincy, but generally speaking, Quincy was so glad to see him, it supported was, yeah. him left and right. Yeah. So tell us about his years in Quincy and, and, and how he, I know he was, he was his preaching. People loved his preaching. He was known for his singing as well. Oh yes. Yeah. The newspapers report his, his uh, sonorous voice as he sang. Uh, people love to hear him. Uh, we don't have any of his homilies extant anymore. We don't know what he was preaching about. Um, you know, we can look at the readings and, you know, get a good guesstimate anyway, but in his exact words, we, we have very few things. Um, but his church was full every Sunday. It wasn't a big church, um, but that was part of the problem because the, the whites in the city were coming uh, with regularity, with frequency to hear his preaching, to hear his singing, um, and they were making their contributions to his parish financially. Uh, and that caused some consternation uh, from the neighboring pastor, uh, who was the dean, the pastor of St. Boniface. Uh, there's a backstory there that the church building that Father Tolton had for his parish church had been a Protestant church, which St. Boniface had bought to use for religious education or something like that. The previous pastor had bought it and put the parish in debt. So now you have Father Weiss, who's the pastor, uh, who comes into a parish that has debt, and a number of his people are going to Father Tolton's parish, and they're giving their money to his parish instead of his own. So he just sort of keeps going into more debt. Um, that... I don't know that it would have sparked it. I think there was something already there between Father Weiss and Father Tolton. Um, Father Weiss treated Father Tolton incredibly badly, uh, spoke of him very negatively in words that we would never use today, and he did so publicly. Um, he went so far as to use his authority as dean uh, to tell Father Tolton he could only minister to black Catholics and said that any white money given to the parish had to be given to the white parishes. Wow. How you determine whose money is white, I, I don't know, but that's what he decreed. Um, so this particular priest made Father Tolton's life very difficult. You know, they're literally a block away. If you're standing where St. Joseph, Joseph's was, uh, you just look a block to the north, and there's the steeple of St. Boniface. Uh, and at that time, you don't have cars. Uh, they wouldn't have been riding in carriages or even riding on horses, so just walking around, getting supplies, visiting parishioners, and whatever he was doing. They must have encountered each other, you know, if not daily, several times a week. Um, but aside from that, there were a couple of instances here and there where Tolton experienced some racism within the city. But overall, he was very well respected throughout the city. And and really, you know, dis, despite um, the support, the wide support from lay Catholics, ultimately this relationship with the priest kind of sent him over. Like, I, I, I think I need to leave. And he ended up going to with Chicago. One, yeah. So he owed his obedience not to the local bishop who was then in Alton, uh, but to the to the propaganda fide in Rome. So he had, so he was writing to the, to the propaganda. Um, and I think the beautiful thing about what he said was he said, a certain German priest here makes my life unbearable. And he asks permission to leave and go to Chicago. Um, but he never names Father Weiss by name. Uh, he just simply says, he, he just generally describes the situation and says, I, I can't stay here. Um, and so he wrote to Rome a couple of times, and uh, Rome wrote back and said, if both bishops agree, the Bishop of Alton and the Bishop of Chicago, go at once. 
Um, so he got permission from both bishops, and within two weeks, he headed up to Chicago. Do we know anything about him leaving and the you know were people we of do. Quincy and and how maybe how saddened they were or anything about we, their he reaction? He left in December, if I remember correctly. Um, the people of Quincy gave him a sizable gift monetarily to send him on his way. Uh, when he left, he, he spoke very highly of Quincy. Um, and he thanked them and said that he would always remember the kindness that he was shown as a boy and as, as a pastor at St. Joseph's. Um, but it was just that relationship with that one priest just made it so he couldn't stay. Gotcha. So, okay, so now he's in Chicago. Yeah, and when he went to Chicago, he brought, it was around a dozen of his parishioners that went up with him. Okay. So he's in Chicago, and his, again, his ministry there is to serve black Catholics. To serve black right? Catholics. He's given the care of all black Catholics across the entire city of Chicago. Okay. And how did that go for him? Do we know much about his life during those years in Chicago? A little bit. Uh, so we, the parish he was given was St. Uh, Monica's, and when he received it, it was on the storefront. Uh, so he began work on building a church. Um, the plan was to do it in three different phases. Uh, so he's raising money as much as he can, and he's traveling across the country, uh, speaking at the National Black Catholic Conference and other parishes, doing whatever he can. Um, and whatever revenues he received from those talks, he gave to the parish to help build his church because his parishioners really didn't have any money. He was able to build the first level of the church, and that was as far as it could go. Um, we know that in Chicago, in Quincy, he didn't have a great deal of success making converts to the Catholicism. Uh, I don't believe he had a great deal of success in Chicago either. Um, but, you know, he's taking care of the entire city. Yeah. Um, nothing the size of it is today, of course, but still not a small place. Um, and so we know that he worked very tirelessly. He worked very exhaustively, uh, bringing people back to the faith who hadn't been to church before in a long time. Um, we know in his letters he's writing to St. Catherine Drexel, asking her for her support uh, because she was supporting black and Indian missions. Um, that's really, that, that's cool right there. Yeah, we've got a couple of those letters. We have a couple of her letters back to him. Oh, you, we do? Oh, sure. Um, that's Where are those at? Just like In Baltimore, I think. In Baltimore, okay. Somewhere out that way. Um, I could look in my files and find out where they are, but that sounds that's, right to That's me. really cool. I didn't know that. Oh, that's sure. cool. Um, and, and some of the letters he's writing to different priests around the country, uh, because he's known, uh, because he's the first black priest in the country, at least the first publicly recognized black priest of the Healy brothers, but that can be a story for another day. Um, and he, he wishes that there were more priests like him uh, because he knows that um, for better or worse, people have, they're more drawn towards people who look like them and are from the same places and cultures as them. And he recognizes that the mission to the black people in the U.S., even to the black Catholics, could much be bolstered and strengthened if there were more black priests in the country. So he was frequently lamenting that there weren't more of him, um, as he put it at one time, to minister to his people. And unfortunately, he's only in Chicago for a few years because then right. at he a young age. Quincy for three years, I think it was, in Chicago for about seven. Um, and then on July the 9th, 1897, uh, right? Yeah, 97, uh, he collapsed of heat stroke. Uh, and something around 10 people across the city of Chicago died of heat stroke that day. How old was he? He was 43. 43. Now, uh, getting back to his love for Quincy, he was he's he requested to be buried in Quincy. Right. So he was brought to the hospital, and his mother, when he went to when he left Quincy to go to Chicago, his mother went with him. They lived in the same house. His mother was his housekeeper. They prayed the rosary together every night. Uh, and so she was at the hospital, and uh, Father Tolton told her that he wanted to go back to Quincy uh, to be buried. And so he was. Now, let's, we're going to get into kind of where he's at in the step line of becoming a saint, but I want to get more into his life. Um, when we think about Father Tolton's life and the virtues he exhibited, what goes through your mind? What, 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 what does he teach us? Long-suffering, I think, what today we'd call patience. Um, really an unflagging 
commitment to the Christian faith, so the gospel of Christ, so the Catholic faith. Um, and you see that even before he went off to the seminary, uh, he had opened a school for black children uh, before he went to Rome um, to teach them just rudimentary education, but also to teach them about the Catholic faith. And so we had non-Catholic black students being enrolled in his school. Um, but then that brought a great consternation from the black pastors uh, because they said he's trying to steal their kids away. So he's got some racism and prejudice from some whites, uh, but then also some prejudice uh, for different reasons because of faith from the black pastors. Uh, so his life is, he's always got to be being ping-ponged back and forth between one hardship and another. Um, but you don't really find him complaining about it. Uh, you don't find him attacking other people as we're so wont to do today. He simply accepts it as it is, and he keeps moving forward doing what he can, even when he, he recognizes that he's not having great success making converts, that he doesn't stop trying. He doesn't just give up. He keeps moving forward. Uh, so it's that, that long-suffering, that perseverance, um, the humility. Uh, we see all of that in Father Tolton. Those are some good virtues right there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, of course, you, speaking of those virtues, the Catholic Church has obviously recognized those virtues because uh, Pope Francis declared him venerable on June 12, 2019. So that's step two of four of becoming a saint in the Catholic Church. But I think people hear Venerable Father Augustine Tolton. What, is, what does that mean? What, what In the eyes of the church, when Pope Francis declared him venerable, what, what does that ultimately mean? Right. So when his cause for canonization was opened, he was declared a servant of God. And that means that the process can begin. And then so an investigation was done into his historical context, looking to see, did he really live? Is he really dead? What do we know about him? Uh, and then looking also at his writings, what few we have. Um, so the first one is establishing the, the historical fact of his life and creating a biography. The second one is looking at whatever writings we have of him, looking to see is there anything contrary to the Catholic faith in what writings we have. Um, so the one is establishing the historical fact, the other is establishing sort of a theological fact uh, that he did live a life of faith. And even looking to see is there within the time frame of his life and after, is there a reputation for holiness of life? Um, and so the, the historical commission found that he did live. We know the, these basic facts about him. The theological commission found there are no, nothing against the Catholic faith in his life, and there is a reputation of holiness in his own lifetime. Um, we have a woman referring to him as this holy priest, uh, but then certainly after his lifetime, there, there's a reputation in Quincy all along, and even in Chicago. Um, so once that was established, uh, then the beginning process for declaring him venerable continues. And so then the question is, did he live a life of heroic virtue? Not just living the life of virtue that all of us are called to do, but did he do it in an exemplary way? Um, and so once all of that is put together, the positio, as it's called, uh, is given to Pope Francis, or was then at the time, and Pope Francis, in consultation with the Congregation for the Causes of Saints, looks at this and said, yes, he did live a life of heroic virtue. And because of that, he declares him venerable. Uh, which means he's worthy of veneration, he's worthy of imitation, uh, he's an exemplar in the Catholic faith. So if we want to learn how to follow Jesus Christ, we can look for Father Tolton, and we can do what he did. Excellent. So now he's step two of four, so let's get into what we hope, three, and ultimately four of him becoming a saint. So right now, uh, to become blessed, uh, a miracle needs to be approved yes. uh, through his intercession. Um, 
what do we know right now? I know Rome has looked at or maybe looking at some miracles. And yeah, I know it can take three different a cases. year. It can take yeah. decades or who knows, centuries. Who knows? yeah. uh, there are two or three different cases that have been submitted to Rome, asking the Holy Father to, to accept these as miraculous healings through Father Tolton's intercession. And really where they stand, we don't know. Um, Rome hasn't really declared anything publicly on them. They probably won't. Um, not until they find one that they can approve as miraculous. But now, let, so if we're it, just waiting. And as you say, it could take six months, it could take a year, it could take 25. Uh, the process so far, in terms of the normal speed for these cases, has gone really quickly. Uh, we're about 10 years into it, and he's already a venerable. Um, and that can often take decades before we get to this point. Now, uh, we hope that he is declared blessed someday. And I want to kind of jump to conclusions here. Let's assume he is declared mm-hmm. blessed. What, what will happen? I, I mean, I know we've talked, you know, perhaps usually the blessed, uh, there's a mass. Mm-hmm. And what's that mass called? The Mass of Beatification. And, and that's usually taken place in the home state or home city or of, of the person. Now it is under John Paul II. It had all, so historically, it had all been done in the local diocese. Uh, where the person died, usually. Uh, John Paul II brought them all to Rome. Uh, Pope Benedict and Pope Francis have both returned them back to the local churches. Um, so if he is declared uh, a blessed, uh, that would be done within the context of a Mass. Um, somewhere in our area, whether it's Quincy or Chicago or Springfield, we don't, I don't know. know. Yeah, I don't know that any point. thoughts have been given. Either way, it'll be, it'd be an awesome thing. It would be great, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then liturgical texts uh, would be prepared. Uh, so uh, at least an opening prayer, a collect to be used at Mass. Um, there'd be something put together for the Office of Readings. Um, so again, uh, different psalms would be selected for him. Uh, a reading possibly from something that he wrote, possibly something that somebody else wrote about him. Um, and then priests and religious and some laity would be praying that uh, on his feast day. Uh, there may or may not be a prayer over the gifts composed for him and a, a closing prayer at the end of Mass. Um, but that would be those prayers would be allowed to be used locally. So whether that would be just within the Diocese of Springfield in Illinois and the Archdiocese of Chicago, or whether the U.S. bishops would put that across the whole nation, who knows. Um, but it could be used locally, okay. um, so, not so, universally. So somebody in Germany, for example, couldn't have a Mass said in honor of Father Tolton. Uh, that wouldn't happen until a second miracle would be approved and he's been declared a saint. Okay, so that is the distinction. If, you're, the if distinction. you're a blessed, liturgical things can be used in local areas, not internationally. A saint, right. bam, it's kind of open yeah. up to, to, unless, to the Unless, if we're using Germany as an example, unless the bishops of Germany would say, we're going to put him on our liturgical calendar. And then those places that add him to their own particular calendars could celebrate that mass. And I know another thing that we've we've talked about, as you mentioned, this process has moved forward. Is a shrine to Father Tolton, Bishop Paraki has has written about this. Of course, um, it's kind of just been mentioned at this point, so we have zero specifics. But of course, another exciting thing that could be happening at some point. We'll, we'll just leave it that way. Mm-hmm. What what is a shrine? You know, when people hear that word, I mean, what would a, what would a shrine even look like to a Father Tolton? So a shrine, canonically, is, um, it could be a church, it could be a chapel, something like that, a place where people go on pilgrimage uh, because of devotion to to a particular saint or because of devotion to a particular mystery of the life of Jesus or of Mary or of some of the other saints. Um, It's a place, uh, not necessarily for retreats, but it's a place for just for prayer, for meditation, uh, for seeking God's will, uh, for seeking to grow in holiness. Every parish, of course, is supposed to be doing that sort of thing anyway. Uh, But these are places that are not usually associated with parishes. Uh, They're just particular places because of either 
uh, some sacred thing that happened in this place or some sacred person that lived there. Um, so the shrine from Father Tol- for Father Tolton, uh, it, it could take any number of appearances. You know, architecturally, it can be whatever we want it to be. Um, but I think if we do it correctly, in my mind anyway, um, it would be a place to come to learn about the life of Father Tolton. And I would think that would include not just his timeline, his biography, what he did and said and was all about, but also looking at what was happening in the United States at that time and even internationally, what was happening across the planet. Um, and it, it could become sort of like the field trip destination for any place you know, within 100 to 200 miles uh, to learn the history of racism and prejudice in the United States and how particular people overcame that uh, and didn't let it hold them back. Um, I think that could be something that Father Tolton could, that the Shrine of Father Tolton could do for our area. Uh, but then also, of course, a place to come for pilgrimages, for retreats, for days of reflection, uh, to learn about what Father Tolton teaches us about following after Christ. And speaking of pilgrimages, you can still go to Quincy today and oh, you can. visit him at St. Peter's Cemetery. Mm-hmm. Is it St. Peter's Cemetery it's Saint or St. Peter Cemetery? I don't I've seen it both ways. I have to look I, at this. I'm getting into the weeds here. Yeah. Okay, but you visit you visit there often as well. What 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 draws you to visit Father Tolton? What ultimately what are you asking him to intercede for? So the example of his life is what does it. I mean, anybody who starts reading and learning about Father Tolton uh, just gets drawn into him. There's there's an attraction that happens uh, because his life is not fantastical, uh, but his life is uh, was just deeply moving uh, to see the witness of this man that encountered so much adversity who simply kept moving forward uh, and lived a life of holiness and grace. Uh, he, he did what we're all called to do. Uh, we're not all called to do it in that particular circumstances, uh, but we're all called to follow after Jesus in the circumstances that are given to us. Um, that's what draws me to Father Tolton. And so what am I asking for when I visit his grave? I'm asking that he helps me follow Jesus as he did so that I can be a holy priest, I can lead my people well, I can carry out that which is entrusted to me. And he's also a great person to ask for future vocations to the priesthood. He is, he is yeah. Now, um, I guess we'll wrap it up here. I know you kind of touched on it already, but ultimately for us lay Catholics, um, a couple things we should be doing, probably asking intercessions for a, for, for a potential miracle. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one thing. You know, as, as we're on our, you know, we want him to become a blessed and a saint. So if you're in need of a miracle, look no further. Ask Father Tolton for, for help. Um, what do you hope as lay Catholics, um, ultimately when we look at his life, um, what should we think about? How should we be mirroring what, mirroring what he did? By imitating his virtues of patience, of long-suffering, of fortitude, of perseverance, of humility, all of those things. Uh, you know, in our day and age, if somebody does, if we feel like we've been slighted or wronged, we hop on Twitter or Instagram or whatever, and we just start attacking the other person. Uh, we don't actually talk to the other person. We don't, treat, we don't seek a reconciliation. Uh, we don't seek an understanding. Um, and Tolton shows us a different way forward. He doesn't show us the way of attacking each other publicly. But he shows us the way of picking up the cross, not grumbling, not moaning, and just following after Jesus. That's what the ordinary Catholic needs to learn from him. See, you are an expert on Father Tolton. Ah. <laughs> no humbleness. Come on. You're, yeah, you're good. You're I'll, good. Yeah, I, I'll never accept the title, but <laughs> thank you. Uh, well, that was excellent, Father Darren. Uh, we really appreciate your expertise, laying it all out for us, and of course, you know, really setting the stage for how we need to model our life after Father Tolton. And if you go to dial.org on the homepage, just scroll a little bit down. You can click. There's a banner there about Father Tolton, about his biography, kind of the history, things Father Darren touched on today. The prayer for his canonization is his there, can, right? His canonization, yeah. And there's also a little, little link. So if you ask Father Tolton for 
uh, a miracle and you get it, there's a little button that says, hey, I think I may have something here uh, because, of course, the Diocese of Springfield, we're working with the Archdiocese of Chicago on his cause. So that'll work through the chain. And hey, you never know yeah. that could, you, you could end up being the miracle. And if they go to Quincy, which I always recommend, they could take a, dr- a driving tour uh, and visit some of the sites associated with Father Tolton's life. That's right. It's all kind of, I mean, it's all kind of right Oh, there. it's all within a couple of blocks. <laughs> yeah. Everything in Quincy. Aside from his grave, it's a mile or so away. That's right. All right, Father Darren Zanley, you are the man. Thank you so much for coming on Dive Deep. You're welcome. All right, this has been Dive Deep. If you would like more podcasts, head on over to dial.org slash podcast. Again, go to dial.org if you'd like to learn more about Father Tolton and his cause. Until next time, we'll see you right here on Dive Deep.